All right. Wow. How about that worship, you guys? Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Well, good morning. My name is Chris, and I serve here on the Elder Board, and we welcome you here this morning. And uh, just going to go over a few quick things. So if you are new or visiting or you're kind of checking things out, we'd love for you to fill out a Connect card on the seat back in front of you. That just gives us a chance to get to know you a bit better. And there's also prayer cards there for anybody who is seeking prayer or wants to lift up a praise. Please fill that out. In fact, I want to point out that last week we you know, gave a big push for filling those out, and we got a phenomenal response. We got so many prayer cards this past week, and it was amazing. The staff was able to pray over them all week long. So please, let us know what's going on for you, because we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to celebrate with you if you're going through a praise. Whatever it may be, let us know, and uh, that would be fantastic. So a few things happening this week to kind of keep in your calendars. Tonight, for the high schoolers, there is a high school hangout at In-N-Out. All right. All the high schoolers, yes. All right. So, uh, as you can see on the board there, burgers and fries are provided, so really there's no excuse for you high schoolers to miss out. So, and that, that's going to be at the Lone Hill in and out in Glendora. Uh, okay. Also happening this week, for women, there is a foodie night on Wednesday, 6.30. So, if you love food, you love to make food, you love to eat food, whatever it may be, show up. Uh, so there's a couple main points that, to make about that. If you have a favorite recipe or a dish you can bring, absolutely, please bring it and bring the recipe for it. If you have nothing that you could bring or buy or whatever for that night, that's fine, but please bring a recipe for something that you love or you love to get because the leaders are going to make a little recipe like booklet by the end. So they're going to compile everybody's recipes together and you get to take that home with you. So don't forget that. Uh, and for men, on the same night at 6.30, we have an event called Chips, Dips, and Tricks. So, <laughs> come bring your favorite chips or your favorite chips and dip. Okay, I'll say it that way. You don't have to bring both if you don't want to, but if you have something that you love to dip, bring them both. But bring something to share. And this is going to be a casual kind of event, guys, all right? So this is not like show and tell. Nobody's asking anybody to get up there and perform something for anybody. But... If you have, let's say, a secret talent or something that, you know, you do really well that nobody really knows about and you want to demonstrate or talk about it a bit, show off. That's okay. Uh, you know an amazing card trick? Great. You know how to, um, the tips for how to change a tire really quick? Bring it. You know, like, so that way share some stuff with the guys and the young guys will be there with us so we can pass on some cool stuff and wisdom to them. And if you don't have any cool tricks to share, don't worry. Just come anyway and hang out. It's going to be very casual. So make sure you put that on your calendar for Wednesday. And then, ah, uh, yes, so next Sunday is Soup Sunday. That's the first Sunday of the month. We have a bunch of soup that we put in the back now. Does anybody know how many soups we had last month? Fourteen. I don't think I've ever seen that many before. We had like four or five tables full of soup. So that was fantastic. You don't need to sign up. You just bring it, okay? Just bring it, and we'll put it out and share it. And please plan to stay afterwards for a little bit just to hang out, socialize, get a little bit of soup. It's going to be a great time. And then I'm just going to pray for the service here as we bring Stephen up in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to gather, Lord, and I pray that your spirit will be with us here in this moment, in this building, 
I pray for Stephen as he delivers the word this morning, Lord. I pray that you will speak through him. Allow his words to penetrate our ears and sink into our hearts to soak in what you want us to hear, Lord. And I pray that this will be a moment for all of us to connect with you through your spirit. And we pray your blessing over all of us today. In your name we ask, amen. Come on. Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? You have to, tired? <laughs> I feel that, whoever said that. Um, you have to forgive me this morning if I'm a little groggy. Uh, for all of you who are probably here, we had winter camp this uh, past weekend. And so we were all up at winter camp. And um, it was a wonderful time. You can see we have a few pictures that I'll put on the screen where we got to connect with the Lord. Oh, I'm getting no signals from some of the students. No, there's pictures going on the screen right now. Uh, we got to connect with the Lord. We got to connect with each other. It was awesome. They had a, the, the topic was talking about the image of God and how we are made in the image of God and how it's broken but restored through Christ. And so it was just a wonderful time. And we got snow, which was awesome. The snow, it was almost the last bit of snow because as some rain came, it kind of uh, started breaking down the snow. But we got to build some snowmen, and it was amazing. But on that last day coming home, uh, we started to feel it a little bit. So this past week, I've been overcoming a cold. Don't worry if you shook my hand. I have been washing them constantly, so, um, and I think I'm, I'm pretty good. But if I'm groggy, that's why. Um, speaking of snow, though, how many of you guys have ever lived in an area with snow, that it regularly snows? Okay, a few of you guys. What about driving in the snow? How many of you guys have driven in the snow? Okay, so maybe a little less than half. That's pretty interesting because we live in Southern California, so for most of us, there's not really much of a reason. Well, I want to tell a little bit of a story of a time, my first time driving in the snow. It was actually last year, around this time, February 22nd, and I was going, I went up to Portland with my mother. I drove up there, I like road trips, and we drove up there for school. I have to do a week of school every once in a while in person at Portland Seminary as part of my master's degree. And so we went up there and everyone told me, hey, the snow, don't worry about it. When snow comes through Portland, it's like super light. Yeah, people kind of freak out, but it's no big deal. And I'm so glad that the, a few days before, when I told my mom it's probably not that big of a deal, her reaction was, I think you need to buy snow chains. Just, I just have a feeling. And so I bought the snow chains, had the snow chains, and uh, the storm kind of came, and no one thought anything of it. But my mother and I were in downtown Portland when the storm started coming through. And yeah, there's a little bit of outside, and everyone thought, oh, it's just going to come through, no big deal. But apparently no weather person predicted an Easter, eastern wind would come and pause the storm on top of Portland. And so my mother and I were in Powell's Bookstore, one of the biggest bookstores, and we were enjoying our time, looking at books. If you know anything about me, if you've seen my office, I love books. And when we walked out, there was 10 inches of snow on the ground. And I was like, oh, this is different. I walked out to my car, and my car was covered in snow, and there was a little Prius next to, next to me with tires spinning, going like this. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what to do now. But we got in the car, we started driving, and we started noticing cars were hitting each other, and I was like, I give it like an 80% chance I'm gonna be hit tonight. This is uh, pretty bad. 
So we pulled over at one point, and, and I got out the chains, which I've never put on chains before, and I'm reading the instructions in a blizzard with my hands freezing cold and trying to put together the chains. And I think a homeless man even came by, and he was like, do you need help? And I was like, I, I just need to see what these instructions say. I don't get it. But we put them on, and we started following, and it was probably one of the scariest times in my life because if you know anything about Portland, it's also hilly. So you turn a corner, and there's cars literally just sliding down the hill on ice, and you're like, it felt like I was one of five people that actually had chains in the entire city. But then at one point in the middle of trying to get home, which our Airbnb was literally like two, three miles away, and it took four hours to get there. In the middle of trying to get back, I see this, this Audi SUV, and I don't know if he had snow chains, or no, he didn't have chains, but I don't know if he had snow tires, or something, but he knew what he was doing. All the cars were sliding and hitting and being abandoned, and, and this Audi knew exactly what he was doing. And so instead of sitting in line behind everyone else who was kind of sliding around, I followed him. I was like, if he knows what he's doing, I'm gonna follow somebody who I can identify, knows what he's doing, and can probably get me through something. I have to give up my path, but I'm gonna follow his path. And actually it worked out. We even got on the freeway, we got out of the city, which took a few hours, then we got on the freeway and it looked like an apocalypse with literally cars just piled on the side, rammed into each other, trees falling everywhere. The amount of times I turned a corner and a car was just spinning, I was like, cars aren't supposed to do that. But lo and behold, we slowly got home by following this car through, through the mess. And um, I always think of this story when I think about following. And, and last week, we, we started off this series of, um, of Lent, moving towards Easter. And Melody had said something that really stuck with me. She had said, Lent is an opportunity to follow Jesus to follow Jesus into vulnerability and weakness, where our only source of life, or our only source of life support is our Father and his God. And so today we're talking about, it's about time to follow. Now, this morning, some of you, this might be kind of reiterating things you need to hear. Some of you, this may be taking you into a new level of following Jesus but we're going to be reading a few different passages in Luke 9, where Jesus is, is confronting following him. And this, this part in the story, is, is in the gospel story, is kind of like a climax. At this time, Jesus had been healing, he had been gaining disciples, he'd been traveling throughout Israel. And this is a point where kind of his reputation is, is growing to the point where it's like, you need to know who you're following. And so, if you have your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen. We're going to be in Luke 9, verse 18. Um, and this is where, where Jesus asks, basically, who people say that he is. So, starting off in verse 18, it says, Once when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets long ago has come back to life. But what about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus poses this question of who. 
up until this time, like I said, he was doing a lot of things, and now he's starting to gain a reputation. A few chapters earlier, they would have asked, who is this Jesus? They would have said, oh, he's a carpenter, some kid from Nazareth. But at this point, he's gaining some kind of reputation. And so he asks this question, who do others say I am? Asking, what is the honor that I've acquired? Who, what is the identity that I've acquired throughout the ministry thus far? And even a few verses earlier, if you were to look back in this chapter, Herod Antipas, the ruler at the time, asked the same question, who is this man? And they replied similarly, saying, maybe he's John the Baptist, who that ruler had recently beheaded. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's Elijah, come back to life. Who, who do people say that he is? He's gaining this reputation. And so Jesus asked another question of who. He says, who do you say that I am? See, this is the real question because many people were healed. Many people followed. Many people were fed when Jesus provided food but not many knew who Jesus was. It was a bit of a, a secret identity that, that Peter proclaims. And this is the first proclamation of saying, this is who Jesus is, that he is God's Messiah, the Christ of God, as some, some translations say. And so it's interesting to kind of compare these two of what do people say Jesus is and who do you say Jesus is? And this is an important question. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, you might have heard this quote before, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not make him a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with someone who thinks he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at your feet and worship him. Or fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come to any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. See, the first question I think we need to ask when we say it's about time to follow Jesus is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? To follow someone, you should know what their, their character is like. We follow people all the time. We follow sports athletes. We follow social media people. We follow other pastors. But to know who they are brings a deeper level of knowing who you're following. See, Peter in his life, he got a lot wrong, but this is one thing that he got very right. He knew that Jesus was God's Messiah. And so it begs us to ask, who do to you, who do we say Jesus is? We're going to pick up in the passage again, verse 21. This is Jesus' reply. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. This is really interesting. This is the first time Jesus predicts his death in the gospel narrative. It's the first time he lets them know 
what's going on. And it's interesting, it starts off with this, this secret, don't tell anyone. In, in the theological world, this is considered the messianic secret. The thought is that Jesus didn't want to, to get to the cross too soon, but just at the right time, so those in the inner circle would know more about who he was, but not everyone knew that he was the Messiah. But then Jesus tells them that he's going to die and rise again. And the interesting part about this is there's a problem in that. Peter just confessed that he was the Messiah, yet what did that mean? There were some expectations there. Peter's expectations of who the Messiah would be is that he, he would be a king to come and rule over Israel that would come and overthrow Rome, a physical strength of power. And yet that physical strength of power just said, hey, I'm going to die. That doesn't make any sense. Why would, why would they leave their lives? Why would they leave their families? Why would they leave all of this for a king that's now going to die? And they have these expectations as they come in, and Jesus kind of shines light in these expectations. And it makes us ask the question when we come to follow Jesus, what expectations do you have of following Jesus? Sometimes we bring these expectations like we think life would be easier if we follow Jesus. Sometimes we bring these expectations that life will be simpler, that we'll have all the solutions, that we'll have all the answers. Sometimes we try to strike deals with Jesus, saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to follow you if, when you do this or that. And that's really hard because, well, while following Jesus is the greatest decision we could ever make, I don't think Jesus leaves us open to the option that life would just be suddenly easier or better. In fact, the opposite. As we're going to read in a moment, he tells them that it's not that easy, that it requires something of us. Continuing in verse 23, then Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it to someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he, of them when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some are standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it pretty clear. Following him isn't, isn't the easy path. It isn't the simple path. He actually says it requires something deep of us. He starts off by talking about picking up your cross, denying yourself and picking up your cross. Now, I used to always think that this picking up your cross was something like, all right, your own personal struggle. There's something that you carry that you just got to keep carrying to Jesus. And yet, I was reading this week, and they talked about everyone at that time would know what crucifixion was. It was what the Romans did to kill people they didn't like or to execute people. And what would happen is they would all carry an, uh, their own beam of the cross, a giant heavy hundred or something pound beam. And there was some kind of definite, definiteness to it. 
You are going to die. There was no turning back. You have to pick up this beam and, and walk out of the city to your own death. And so when I reread this, I think what, he, what he's referring to is, hey, when you pick this up daily, it means that you're going to keep going. It means that's definite. There's some finality about it that you're going in the direction of Christ. And Jesus makes it very clear that to be his disciple, to follow him, requires going the direction that he's going, which is to death. To deny yourself. To follow him. And this is not something that you just do once and you leave it. It is something you do every single day to follow Christ. Are you ready to die to yourself daily? It's not an easy question to answer. And it's not talking about some physical death that we're, we're, we're martyring ourselves. But rather, it's talking about sacrifice. I don't think it's a religious action. It's not, not an action of reading your Bible so much or doing so many X, Y, Zs, but it's rather a, a life living daily to die to yourself and to live for Christ. I like to define this as embodying the love of God. To live every day as if you're living it for Christ and not for yourself. And he kind of creates this paradox saying to lose your life is to gain your life. And he makes this paradox between even a physical world where we can get everything we want but then be left empty or a spiritual world where we can lose the things of this world, we can lose all the earthly desires but gain everything. And he finishes off with saying this, to not be ashamed, but to set Christ as your purpose. I wonder how we can do this, how we can do this each and every day. And I think about just days where you go to the store, where you see somebody, where you have to show kindness, where you have to reach out to someone who wronged you, to be generous, to reach out to a friend in need. I know recently I've had a friend who's, he's been in a lot of need, and it's been hard to be on the phone with him sometimes. Yet every time it rings, I, I see that, and I'm just like, is it, do I answer this? Or like, do, do I deny what I want, which is, probably not to just sit on the phone for an hour? Or do I pick it up and be Christ to this, this person? And granted, sometimes it takes some spiritual discernment in figuring out how my day's been going or what else God's doing. But the answer is to, to, to pick up the phone, to care for the person in need. After Jesus says all this, later in the story, after he he, uh, he's transfigured on a mountain. Literally, Peter, James, and John see Jesus in, in glory. And after, after that, later in the story as he's going along, uh, Jesus is presented with three people who want to follow him. In verse 57 of Luke 9, it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens 
Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another, he called him, follow me. But this man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another, a third, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Three times people decided to follow Jesus. And three times something was holding them back. The first time the man wanted to follow Jesus, but Jesus was very honest with him. He was very real with him. He wasn't trying to sugarcoat it. He was, he was saying life following Jesus isn't always comfortable. It isn't always easy. If you want to follow me, that means giving up some comfort, giving up some ease. Second, Jesus called this man. He, he reached out to this man, and this man basically said it wasn't a good season. It doesn't say that his father's actually dead, but rather at that time you would stick with your elderly parent until they died. And so it's almost like he's like, hey, it's not the right season. I don't know how long my father's halves left, but I'm going to be with him. And it wasn't a question between right and wrong. It was a question between right and right. And Jesus puts him in this situation of saying, hey, even over something else that's good, pick following Jesus. And the third time, the man just wanted to say a quick goodbye. He just wanted to go to his friends, say goodbye, and then follow Jesus. And Jesus puts some harsh words saying, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of God. And, and this is actually kind of an illustration because at that time, if they were plowing the ground with a physical tool, they would have to look to something in the future, like a tree, something in the, in the horizon to make sure their lines are straight. And to look back would mean that they would have very crooked lines. And I think it's this call to keep going forward, to leave the past as it is behind, as, as, uh, as Paul says in Philippians 3.13, to forget what's behind and strive for what is ahead. One of the great speakers, Spurgeon, says it this way in one of his sermons. He said, be afraid of these farewells. They have been the ruin of hundreds of hopeful people. They have been almost persuaded, but they have gone to their old company just for, to give them one last kiss, one last handshake, and we have not seen anything of them. What holds you back from following Jesus? Sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes we can say, hey, we're headed forward, but things always come up that want to pull us back. And I think, don't get me wrong, I think there's grace for all of these. They're, they don't tell us what happened. They don't tell us if, if the guy is like, all right, cool, well, I'll let the dead bury the dead. I'm following you. We don't know because it's not really the point. The point here was the priority And Jesus identifies some common hurdles that's hard to get past. Yet Jesus is very clear about one thing. It's about time to follow. Sometimes we have to push past wanting to go back to old things in our lives. Sometimes we have to push past the desire for comfort and ease. Sometimes we have to push past the, well, it's really just not the right season. 
Sometimes it means choosing Jesus over something else that also seems right. So as we head forward, we're called to be steadfast. This whole thing, this whole narrative that we're talking about of Lent, it's actually a story of Jesus being very steadfast. Very steadfast of heading towards the cross heading towards our salvation, dying for us, and nothing else really mattered. There was times where he went through cities. Just prior to this passage, he went through a city and they, they rejected him and he dusts off the feet, off of his, his and off of his, uh, dust the dust off his feet, and heads towards Jerusalem because he knows what, a li- what, what lies for him, that he would die and rise again. So, as we say, it is time to follow Jesus. We know it won't always be easy. And we must ask some questions of ourselves. Who do we say Jesus is? What expectations do you have of this relationship of following Jesus? One of the hardest ones, are you ready to die to yourself daily? And what holds you back from following Jesus? We're going to go into communion in a minute, but I want to give you a few more words from C.S. Lewis. He's speaking of the heart of God and he says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talent, so much of your money or so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here or a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out, handed over the whole outfit all of your desires, all your wants, all your wishes, all your dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. We're gonna go into communion and uh, Chris and I will be up here and we'll have... Fuzz and Jim in the back. And I invite you to, to grab the communion and, uh, and then we will take them all together. All right? We're about to go into a song um, after we take communion. And it's a very powerful song with somewhat of a mysterious, powerful origin It came from 150 years ago. There's missionaries that traveled to North India in the region of Assam, to tribes of many headhunters. And one missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and his two children. This man's faith proved contagious and everyone wanted to know about this Jesus that they followed. Angrily, the village chief summoned the whole family who had converted and told them to renounce their faith or face public execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Enraged by his refusal, he ordered that his two children be killed. And the chief asked, won't you deny your faith now? Your two children have been, your two children have been killed and you'll lose your wife too. And the man simply replied, Though none 
Though no one joins me, still I will follow. The chief was besides himself with anger, and he ordered the wife, too, to be killed. And for the last time, he said, I'll give you one more chance to deny your faith and live. And in the face of death, this man said, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. He was killed like the rest of his family. But in their deaths, a miracle took place in this village, and the chief who had ordered these killings was moved by the faith of the man. He wondered why would this man give up his wife, his two children, and his own life for some man 2,000 years ago that died. And in in a spontaneous confession of faith, he said, I too belong to Christ. And when the crowd heard this, the whole village decided to follow Jesus. Now, most of us are blessed to live in a country where we don't have the threat of death and probably most of you would never be in that kind of position. But see, something happens when we take communion. Something happens where we are also put into Jesus' death and resurrection, where we join with him, where, where his body on the cross becomes us on the cross with him that our sin, our shame, all of that goes to the, to the cross for Jesus who died for you and I. Would you all take of the bread together? In the same way that we join in his death, we also join in his resurrection. That we don't have to live the same way that we can live with freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, in the hope that one day we will also live with him forever in resurrected bodies in heaven. Would you take the juice together? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming, for dying on the cross for us, for, for resurrecting, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Lord, I pray that you draw us closer to follow you in the season of Lent. I pray that we would bring ourselves fully before you. I pray that we would learn what it means to die to ourselves, to live completely for you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.